Welcome to Walk in Truth. These are the Bible teachings of Pastor Michael Lance, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people and how to apply that truth to today's issues, trends, and culture. You can learn more about the program and our church when you visit walkintruth.com or download our free Living Truth app. Now here's Pastor Michael's teaching in Isaiah 60 called The Light Shines. Isaiah 60 verse 1 says, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Now this is looking to a future day when the millennial reign of Jesus Christ will happen and the realization of what the world was intended to be will arise. And I want you to see the word arise there, the word shine for your light has come. Now as we looked at chapter 59, if you look back with me for a second, we looked at the fact that uh, sin is the problem that causes darkness in the world. Look at Isaiah 59, 1 and 2. It says, Behold, the, le- the Lord's hand is not so short that it cannot save, neither is his ear so dull that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. And then we went through that ugly list that we looked at a few weeks back. Your hands are defiled with blood, your fingers with iniquity, your lips have spoken falsehood, your tongue mutters wickedness, all these unrighteous things. No one sues righteously, no one pleads honestly. They trust in confusion and speak lies. They conceive mischief and bring forth iniquity. They hatch adder's eggs and weave the spider's web. He who eats their eggs dies. And from that which is crushed, a snake breaks forth. And on and on it goes. And we saw the, the um, consequences of sin. And sin, the kingdom of, of uh, Satan is compared to darkness. And, and sin produces darkness. And it produces this ugliness uh, in the world. And so God did something about it. Notice what happens. This is verse 15 in chapter 59. Yes, truth is lacking, And he who turns aside from evil makes himself a prey. It's even dangerous to do the right thing. Now the Lord saw, he saw what was happening and it was displeasing in his sight that there was no justice, 59, 16. And he saw that there was no man and was astonished that there was no one to intercede. Then his own arm brought salvation to him and his righteousness upheld him. And notice what happens now. And he put on righteousness like a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head, and he put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself with zeal as a mantle. God saw the condition of the world, he saw the condition of mankind, and he did for us what we could not do for ourselves. His arm extended down, and he sent his son Jesus Christ to die on the cross for us, and he put on the garments of salvation in our place. And we looked at Isaiah 59, 17 last time and we went over to Ephesians 6 and we noted there that these are the pieces of the armor of God. God gives us a helmet of salvation. He gives us a breastplate of righteousness. And these are things that we get even uh, after becoming a Christian. They are our protection in spiritual warfare. In one sense, we have the whole armor of God right now. In one sense, the the victory was won and we got it all at the time that we became a Christian and we entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ. But there's another sense with the armor of God that we still need to put it on. 
God provides the armor, but the Christian still needs to put on the armor of God that we may be able to stand firm against what? The schemes of the devil. Now, he can't take our salvation, but what he does try to rob us of is peace. We have shoes of peace. Rob us of righteousness. He wants to soil our hearts. He wants to get us to think that maybe we're not saved, so we have a helmet of salvation. And everything that he throws against us, we have a custom-made armor to deal with those attacks. Every piece of armor in Ephesians 6 is custom-made to deal with the father of lies, so you have a belt of truth. Amen? You have the one who is the evil one, and so you have a breastplate of righteousness. You have the one that tries to get you to question your salvation or rob people of salvation so you have a helmet to protect your mind. And as you go through the pieces of armor, they're custom made. And when you put them on, they're not physical, they're spiritual. In essence, to put on the armor is to put on God. And in Romans 13, if you turn there with me, uh, go to the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. Paul calls the armor something related to our text. We, we saw arise, shine, for your light has come. The glory of the Lord has risen upon you. These are realities in the last days. Go to Romans 13. And Paul will say this now. He's giving a sense of urgency to the church at Rome, and he says these words in Romans 13, 11. He says, and this do, he's talking about love, knowing the time that it is already the hour for you to awaken from your sleep or awaken from sleep. Remember the words arise and shine in uh, Isaiah 60 verse one. It's time to awake from your sleep. For now salvation is nearer to us than when we believed. Romans 13, 12. The night is almost gone. Aren't you glad? The day is at hand. Let us therefore, in light of this truth, lay aside the deeds of darkness. Darkness is reflected in behavior and put on, what's the armor called there? Let us put on the armor of light. And so salvation and light and all of these truths kind of intersect with these ideas of God entering into time and space becoming the warrior for us and going to the cross and he will come back and judge the world in righteousness and in the meantime, what he has left for us in order for us to live in the light of the kingdom is to put on the armor of light and to make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. And so when you put on the armor of God, go back to Isaiah 60, what you're doing is you're putting on the power of the kingdom. You're living for the things that really matter and you're arising and shining, if you will. And every day as a Christian, even though the light of God is in you, you must make a decision to put on the light of life, to put on the armor. God does live in you, but there's still a provision that we must take. Um, think of it kind of this way. It's, it's like the manna. Israel had the manna from God, but they had to still go out and get it. And I've said this many times to you before, and I say it tongue-in-cheek, but it's very true. Your Bible is not going to fly off the shelf, flip off the remote control when you're watching a late-night television show, and then open to an applicable page for your life. You are actually going to have to make a move to your Bible. And in the same way, to put on the armor of God means you need to make a move toward God. The armor of God is God. You put on the Lord Jesus Christ, and some of you say, well, how do you put on God? Well, the analogy is like clothing, and the word is endow. 
And Jesus said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has, remember Acts 1.8, come upon you and then you will be my witnesses. And what this is, the armor of God is really about the power of God, but more than that, it's the presence of God. And even though I have it, I can still have more, or maybe a good way to say it as we talk about the Holy Spirit is he can have more of me. And so when I put on the clothing of God, that's what I'm doing. I'm arising, look at verse one, chapter 60, and I want the Lord to shine through me. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, John eight twelve. but he will have the light of life. And so sometimes we wake up our kids and we say, rise and shine. And they're like, I don't want to go to school. And maybe that's you. Maybe your wife says that to you. I'll rise and shine. And you go, I want to go to school. And you throw those covers over you. I prefer the darkness right now. Okay. Well, the Lord wants you to rise and shine. In 2 Corinthians 4, 6, and 7, it says, let, uh, God said, let uh, light shine out of darkness, and he has made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. And we have this treasure, the NIV puts it, in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. And every day, what God really wants to do is fill your little jar of clay. That's your, your life. That's you with his light. And uh, you gotta stay in the light to shine bright. Um, I read of a couple who bought this little trinket from France and you know the, the thing was supposed to light up and they thought it was a dud because it wasn't working. It was supposed to, you were supposed to turn off the lights and it was supposed to you know, be bright. And then they read the little inscription. They had to translate it. It said, if you want me to shine in the night, keep me in the light. And you know how some of those things work. You have to put them next to the light and then they end up shining in the darkness. And that's how our lives are. We gotta stay close to that light and when we do, God will shine through us. Ephesians 5.14 says, for this reason it says, awake sleeper, arise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. That's Ephesians 5.14. Many commentators believe that's an adaptation or that's an allusion to Isaiah 60 verse one. Many of you have read the verse before. Awake sleeper, arise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. On you, Ephesians 5.14. Many commentators also believe that Ephesians 5.14 was an Easter hymn sung by the early church and used as an invitation to unbelievers who might have been in the congregation that day. And so as they would end the service, they would say, wake up, sleeper. And an unbeliever might be sleeping literally at that moment. Rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. What, what, what? Right? And that was an invitation from the church to say, wake up and come to the light. And the question is, why don't people come to the light? And John 3, 16 through 21 answers the question, because men love darkness rather than light. Why? Because their deeds are evil. They don't come to the light because they don't think there's light. They don't come to the light because they prefer their deeds of darkness. And Paul says in Romans 13, if you want to overcome the deeds of darkness, one way you do that is to put on the armor of light. In essence, when you put on the armor of light, you crowd out the deeds of darkness because your flesh always wants to be satisfied. 
You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. Thanks for tuning in to Walk in Truth today. Did you know there's more where that came from? Download the Living Truth app to listen to more of Pastor Michael's teachings whenever you want. You can even watch videos. And if you're local to Southern California, you can get updates on church events, new studies, and more. Download the free Living Truth app today. Producer Rob Newton here, and on behalf of Pastor Michael and the Walk in Truth team, thank you so much to our financial and prayer partners. Whether you have given a one-time donation or you have become a monthly partner, you have contributed to our mission to reach out with God's truth to all people and helping listeners like you apply that truth to today's issues, trends, and culture. You've heard that before, right? Well, we mean it. Thanks to our financial partners, we have added three new radio stations. Our prayer is to bless our new listeners the way we have hopefully been a blessing to you. If you're a longtime listener, would you please consider becoming a $5 a month partner? That may not seem like much, but every little bit makes it possible possible for us to continue our broadcasts, podcasts, and free apologetic events. Please become a partner giving at least $5 a month. Visit walkintruth.com to donate or call 844-48-TRUTH. That's walkintruth.com or call 844-48-TRUTH. We'd love to see who's listening, so please connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Just do a search for Walkin' Truth Show. Now, back to Pastor Michael Lance, right here on Walk in Truth. They don't come to the light because they prefer their deeds of darkness. And Paul says in Romans 13, if you want to overcome the deeds of darkness, one way you do that is to put on the armor of light. In essence, when you put on the armor of light, you crowd out the deeds of darkness because your flesh always wants to be satisfied. Every day you wake up, your flesh wants provision, right? Would you take a few things for me today? Can you pack them in a backpack? Right? And you have to say, quiet, right? I'm going to live in the light. For behold, Isaiah 60, verse 2, darkness will cover the earth and deep darkness the peoples. But the Lord will rise upon you and his glory will appear upon you. But notice There's going to be a darkness, and if you look at the Bible and you see what darkness represents, darkness represents judgment. You remember when Jesus was on the cross, and he was there during the high point of the day, from noon to three in the afternoon. And do you remember that darkness covered the entire land? Luke tells us this, Matthew tells us this. And that darkness was a sign of judgment. As a matter of fact, if you're interested, those of you who are interested in archaeology and apologetics, extra-biblical sources, all that means is sources outside the Bible have verified that there was a frightening worldwide darkness at that time in history when Jesus was dying on the cross. That's been verified in one book, if you're interested, called The Historical Jesus by Gary Habermas. That is the time from the sixth hour, darkness fell upon the land till the ninth hour, and that's the time about the ninth hour that Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Darkness fell upon the whole land, Luke tells us, from 12 to 3 in the afternoon, the sun was obscured and the veil of the temple was torn in two. Even Tertullian, in a defense of Christianity, written to skeptics, said, At the moment of Christ's death, the light departed from the sun, the land was darkened at noonday, which wonder is related in your own annals and is preserved in your archives to this day. Close quote. 
That darkness that came over the world was pictured in an earlier miracle done by God in the land of Egypt. As a matter of fact, it was the ninth plague of the 10 plagues of Egypt, and the plague of darkness preceded the plague of the killing of the firstborn. And if you go back and read Exodus 10, what you'll see in that plague was, among the people of Egypt, there was a three-day darkness so intense, it was a darkness that people could feel. Have you ever been in a dark place and been freaked out? Uh, let's, let's be honest. Sometimes I even walk down my hallway when it's dark. And, you know, and I wear contact lenses, so when it's dark, it's really dark. You know, if I don't have my lenses in it, you're kind of like, uh, this is a little freaky, and it's my own house, <laughs> right? Well, this was a darkness that people could feel, but in the book of Exodus, it says that though Egypt was in darkness, thick darkness in the land, Uh, They couldn't even see one another. Nobody even got up from their place for three days. But all the sons of Israel, Exodus 10, 23, had light in their dwellings. It's kind of how the world is right now. And it's a foretaste of what's ahead. And as a matter of fact, the day of the Lord, one of the characteristics of the day of the Lord is a darkness. Uh, We're told in many of the day of the Lord passages that the sun will be darkened. This is Isaiah 13, 10. When it rises and the moon will not give its light. We're told in Joel uh, 3, 14 in, uh, f- verse 15, the sun and moon grow dark and the stars lose their brightness. In Amos 8, 9, it says that I shall make the sun go down at noon and make the earth dark in broad daylight. The precursor of the day of the Lord, the sixth seal in the book of Revelation, is a darkness. The sun grows dark. The moon doesn't give its light. The I can speak. The stars fall from the sky. And then the sign of the Son of Man appears in the darkened sky. Just like the best, well, better than the best fireworks show you've ever seen. You know, they turn the lights off and then boom, boom, boom. Ah! Well, this is going to be all the natural lights go out. And here comes Jesus Christ in power and great glory. And not only him, but all the angels are coming with him. You want to talk about a light show, folks? That is what is going to happen at the end of the age. There's going to be a frightful darkness and it will precede the coming of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And when this comes and the Lord judges the world and sets up his millennial reign, the nations, Isaiah 60, verse 3 will come to your light because the new Jerusalem will be a light to the nations and kings to the brightness of your rising. Jerusalem's light will attract other nations. Uh, Right now, there's only a few people who want to go to Israel and it's usually Christians and Jewish people who want to go back to their homeland. But for the rest of the world and uh, specifically for a lot of nations surrounding the nation of Israel right now, Their intentions are very dark. They don't like the land of Israel. Uh, We had Ahmadinejad come to the UN meeting in New York City. And, you know, well, we won't even, I was going to do a play on his name, but you guys already know he's a whack job. He is absolutely crazy. He goes before audiences of mixed leaders of nations and tells them he wants to blow Israel off the map. And he'll even say that in front of Israeli leaders. It's like, are you kidding me? And we let this guy into New York City to give another one of his speeches? It's absolutely bizarre to me. 
But there's going to come a day with all the hatred and nonsense that's gone on about the land of Israel where Israel will become a light and kings will be drawn to it. And it says, lift up your eyes in verse four round about and see they all gather together. They come to you. Your sons will come from afar and your daughters will be carried in their arms. One day there's going to be a day when all of those who have been scattered throughout the world, and I don't think this is just the return from the Babylonian captivity, I think this is the future. And there will be people that will be carried into the Holy Land uh, with other relatives to come back to the joy of what God created in the first place. And they will carry loved ones into this place. And then you will see Verse five, and be radiant and your heart. Can you imagine the response of people who have been through a very difficult, tragic time and then see loved ones coming to their homeland? You will see and be radiant. Your heart will thrill and rejoice because the abundance of the sea, and many see the sea here is a multitude of people, but it could speak of sea travel as well, will be turned to you. The wealth of the nations will come to you. And in the millennium, there will be a restoration of Mount Zion, the restoration of the people to the full land of Israel and the original borders of the land, which are now being debated. The rule of the earth will be restored to its rightful king. The temple, some sort of temple, will be rebuilt according to Ezekiel 40 through 48. I don't know how it's all going to work. And a multitude of camels will cover you. The camels of Midian, verse 6, and Ephah, All these from Sheba will come and they will bring, notice as these people stream to the New Jerusalem, what will they bring? Gold and frankincense and will bring also praises. They will bear good news, makes you think of the gospel there, of the praises of the Lord. As as the nations are streaming to uh, the New Jerusalem and bringing their light, as the book of Revelation says, into its light, the greater light, They will be singing praises. They will be coming in caravans and they will bring gold and frankincense. Does that sound familiar? Well, we know that there were some people that came called the Magi and what'd they bring? They bring gifts of gold, frankincense, and what? Myrrh. Now they bring gold because gold is the gift to a king, right? That's the the metal of a king. They brought frankincense. Frankincense was used where? Remember? In the temple for the offerings, sweet smelling uh, aroma to God. Do you remember what the myrrh was for? The myrrh was for burial. And so it's interesting to me that kings from the east who probably were informed by Daniel way back when Daniel was in a great spot there in in Babylon of influence. Now they come, but how do they know to bring these three gifts? To honor a king, he was just a little child, to honor his high priestly ministry, the book of Hebrews is all about that, that he, he would be the one to offer the ultimate sacrifice to God to be our mediator. And then they brought myrrh, even when he was a little kid, knowing that he was going to die. But as the caravans come in the New Jerusalem, the one thing they don't bring is myrrh. Why? Because Jesus died one time for all of us for all time. He died one death for sin. Death no longer has mastery over him, right? 
And this is the book of Romans. The book of Romans makes it clear. It says, now if we died with Christ, we believe that we also shall live with him. Knowing that Christ having been raised from the dead, Romans 6, 9, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, Romans 6, 10. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Even so, in light of this, consider yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. They don't bring myrrh because he's not going to die again. But they bring gifts of the king because he is still the high priest. He is still the ultimate high priest. He is still the ultimate king of kings and lord of lords. And it says, all the flocks, seven of Kedar, will be gathered to you. The rams of, whatever that means, Naboth, will minister to you. They will go up with acceptance on my altar. Sure sure seems like animal sacrifices here. And I shall glorify my glorious house. Who are these who fly like a cloud? This may be a picture of ships coming and you know how a sail uh, moving along with a ship with the wind and it can look like a cloud. That may be the figurative language here. And like the doves to their lattice, like, kind of like a flock, uh, a big um, group of doves flying you know, with the white. Who are they? Surely the coastlands will wait for me. The ships of Tarshish, probably speaks of Spain, the westernmost part of the world, will come first to bring your sons from afar. They're coming from everywhere. This seems to be the sons of Israel. There's silver, silver and gold with them. For the name of the Lord your God and for the Holy One of Israel, because he has glorified you. And foreigners, because there's, I would imagine there's gonna be so much destruction that happens to this part of the world that will have to be rebuilt. Foreigners will build up your walls, and their kings, notice, will minister to you, for in my wrath I struck you, and in my favor I have had compassion on you. And this is the time in history where we would say that a good, um, uh, at least a portion of the Jews awaken to their Messiah, a remnant, and they trust in him, and they trust in their Redeemer. And of this city, it says, your gates will be open continually. They will not be closed day or night. That speaks of safety. I don't know if you live somewhere where you can leave your door unlocked at night confidently. Um, I don't. And I would imagine most of you don't because the state of our country right now is that that's just not a safe uh, move to make. And it wasn't that long ago that someone tried to break into our home. Um, They didn't get in. They just kind of messed up a side door. But, um, you know, we live in a world right now where It's kind of unsafe. But in that new city, in that new Jerusalem, the gates can be open continually because there's not going to be any threat of wicked and evil. Uh, They won't be closed day or night so that men may bring, notice to you, the wealth of the nations with their kings led in procession. For the nation and the kingdom which will not serve you, and this is a tough verse, will perish and the nations will be utterly ruined now, there was a promise back in Genesis 12 that those who bless Israel, God will bless. Those who honor Israel, God will honor. Those who don't bless Israel, God will not bless. And that's going to be even more magnified in the future. If you have disdain upon the place that God has written his name forever, God says, not only will he not bless you, but this verse says, if you will not serve this place, you will perish 
and the nations, notice, will be utterly ruined. And we have a big debate going on right now in the church whether uh, literal Israel will be uh, regathered. Uh, listen, uh, I, don't, I don't know if there's anybody in here who believes in replacement theology, which basically says that the church has replaced Israel. I don't believe that. I don't think, believe you can support that biblically. I believe God is going to work in the literal nation of Israel again. And yes, now the church is predominantly Gentile, but I believe that the Jews will open their eyes. I think the Bible is clear on that. And the focal point in the future will also be this place, and those who will not serve it will be ruined because they won't serve the king that belongs to it, Jesus And the glory of Lebanon, known for its uh, timber, will come to you. And it was used, by the way, in the building of Solomon's temple. The juniper, the box tree, and the cypress together, 13, to beautify the place of my sanctuary. And I shall make uh, the place of my feet glorious. And this is the place of the temple. Used to be the Ark of the Covenant. God says in Isaiah 66, 1, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. And God is going to reign there in Jerusalem. And he said to me, son of man, this is the place of my throne, Ezekiel 43, 7, and the place of the soles of my feet where I will dwell among the sons of Israel forever, Ezekiel 43, 7. God's gonna come and Jesus Christ, when we encounter God, and I, and I can't tell you that I know about how it's all gonna work, but one thing I know, when we are there, We are going to look into the eyes of a man, the God-man. You see, heaven and the future that we have is not only seeing, and, and I can't even, you know, trying to understand the depth of God's being and the Trinity here. Let just let me just tell you one feature I know will exist. You and I will look into the eyes of the God man we will look into the eyes of the face of our Redeemer. See, that's, to me, that helps me a little bit get my arms around it because I know God is spirit, but I also know God became a man in the person of Jesus Christ. And in the same way you saw him go up to heaven, he's coming back in the same way. And when he rules and reigns from Jerusalem, not only will we be able to look into his eyes, but I think we're gonna be able to see the wounds of the cross. And that is what's ahead. The glory of this place. And people will stream to it. And Isaiah 2 says they will come to allow the Lord or ask the Lord to teach them. And the sons of those who afflicted you will come bowing to you, 14. And all those who despise you will bow themselves at the soles of your feet. And they will call you the city of the Lord, the Zion of the Holy One, of Israel, every knee is going to bow, every tongue is going to confess. Whereas you have been forsaken, 15, and hated with no one passing through. I mean, if that doesn't sound like uh, Israel, I don't know what does. Um, people, for, a forsaken place. You know, when the Jews got there and, and started to um, rebuild the land, it was basically, a lot of the land was swamps. They had to drain water 
And now it is a, the land is blossoming. They're one of the top exporters of fruits and vegetables in the world. The little land of Israel has blossomed again. Exactly what Ezekiel 37 said was going to happen. It's happening right now. The land has blossomed. But the land is still a hated land. I mean, folks, just in the 1930s, Adolf Hitler, we know what happened. We know the hatred against the people of that land. But that land that was hated and forsaken, God says in 15, and this is divine turnarounds now, this is the light that's ahead, that land I will make you an everlasting pride. I want you to notice the word everlasting. That land will be a joy from generation to generation. Can you imagine what it will be like for people in that land who get peppered with bullets from countries that surround them, that have to deal with landmines from previous wars. We were on a tour of Israel and there was a place on the uh, Syrian border where they had a barbed wire fence up and they had pictures of cows and and there were, there were warnings there, and, and they were saying, you know, we were asking, what's the warning about? And they said, well, there's, there's landmines in these, these places, and they don't want people to walk in there. And they've had some cows roaming in there, and a cow will step on a mine, and boom! You know, the cow will just be blown to bits. And someone said, you know what you call that? From the back of the bus, and the guy said, what? And he said, shredded beef. <laughs> boom! Goes the cow. But anyway, that's terrible, isn't it? There's going to be a day when those threats are gone. You know, even though going to Israel is a wonderful experience, you still know there's a bunch of people surrounding them. It's just ugly. It's not a, not a way that you want to live. And you also suck the milk of nations. And this is going to sound funny. And you will suck the breast of kings. And then you will know that I, the Lord, am your Savior and your Redeemer the mighty one of Jacob. And I think all it's saying, if you have the NIV, it says, you will drink the milk of nations and be nursed at royal breasts. And I think God is just simply saying, you're gonna have the best of everything. Instead of bronze, I will bring gold. Instead of iron, 17, I will bring silver. Instead of wood, bronze, all the best. Instead of stones, iron. And I will make peace your administrators and righteousness your overseers. Under the Messiah, everything gets better. Violence will not be heard again in your land, oh, for that day to come. Nor devastation or destruction within your borders, but you will call your walls salvation and your gates praise. Violence may have been a way of life before, but in the millennial reign, it is no longer And some of you have known violence. Some of you have known lifestyles of violence and you know what it means to live with your life constantly on the edge. But in this place, there will be no more violence. What used to be walls of defense and gates of defense are now walls of what? Salvation and praise. And no longer will you have sun for the light by day, 19, Nor for brightness will the moon give you light, but you will have the Lord. And what kind of light is the Lord? He is an everlasting light. And your God for your glory. 
Your son will set no more. These are the things that alternated and changed. Neither will your moon wane. For you will have the Lord for an everlasting life, light. And the days of your mourning will be finished. They will be over. And as Isaiah paints the picture, man, you can see how this is, we've gotten a foretaste of this in our lives because we used to just kind of roll with, uh, we, we put the defenses up. Maybe this was you. You're a very, maybe, maybe it is you. A defensive person always having guards up, but now your walls are salvation. Now your gates are praised. Now you say to people, you know what? I want my life not to be insulated from people. I want my life to be about bringing salvation to people. Is that you? Is that one of the things that the Lord's done in your life, that you see your life not as a protective cocoon, but rather as something to bring the light of the Lord Maybe you saw your life as, you know, just under the sun. It's the setting of the sun uh, and then the, the moon. The sun and the moon, just another day. How you doing today? Just another day in paradise. How you doing today? Okay, another day, another quarter. You know, we all have those sayings. The sun rises, the sun sets. The sun rises, the sun sets. But now in your life, I hope that you could say, you know what? It's a good day because the light of the Lord is in my life. Amen? Maybe you walked around as a person who did a lot of mourning and moaning. There's certainly seasons for that. But hopefully a Christian can say that we're known more for joy than we are for walking around like Eeyore, you know? Or Schleprock. I always use those two examples, but they're perfect. And if you're old enough to appreciate them, you know exactly what I'm talking about. But now, hopefully, you can say, I'm a person of joy. And my joy is anticipatory. Because one day, he's going to wipe every tear from my eyes. There'll be no more pain, suffering, sorrow, tears. The former things will have passed away. And then all your people, 21, will be righteous. Imagine that. All the people will be righteous. They will possess the land forever. The branch of my planting, it's God's work. The work of my hands, and here's the reason, that I may be glorified. The smallest one will become a clan, the least one a mighty nation, and I, the Lord, will hasten it in its time. A little one will become a thousand and reminds you of the promise of Abraham. I'm going to take you, I'm going to make you a great nation, and in you, all the families of the earth will be Blessed, And I'll tell you what, every single Christian walking the face of the earth right now should have as a goal to bless and multiply themselves in as many families and even nations as you can with every breath that you have in your lungs. Amen? And if more of us got busy about living in the light of those promises in anticipation of them, I think this world would change a lot more. So we go out and we say, Lord, I want to make disciples. And you put yourself in a position where your life can become a testimony of that light, um, your wall's salvation, your gate's praise. Would you bow with me? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the hope of the new Jerusalem. Thank you for the king that will be seated on that throne. And thank you that that king is my king. 
And that kingdom I have entered in, not because I did anything great, but because you paid the price and you put on the helmet of salvation and a breastplate of righteousness and you brought salvation with your own arm and you saved me and you washed me in the blood of your son and you set my feet upon solid ground and you said, now you go and you put on my armor and you change this world through my power and you call your gate salvation You call your wall salvation. You call your gates praise. And Father, we are grateful that you've put a new song in our heart. And I pray that um, as we have thought about these things that are ahead, they will cheer us on even when we face things that are dark. Fill us with your light afresh. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Strengthen the life of the person that may be a little down and poured out. Strengthen the heart of a person who needs to take a stand tonight. Strengthen the heart of a person who needs a little bit more faith tonight. Strengthen the heart of an individual trying to stay pure in a very impure world. Help that person who's wrestling with a decision tonight to step out boldly toward the light and not away from it. And I know you will honor those decisions and bless your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand? You've been listening to The Light Shines, part one on Walk in Truth. That was Pastor Michael's teaching in Isaiah 60. If you missed any part of today's program, you can listen to part one when you follow Walk in Truth on our free Living Truth app or wherever you get your podcasts. Also listen to our new mini-sodes called A Step Closer. Walk in Truth is on Apple Podcast, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Player FM, and many more. Subscribe for free to hear Pastor Michael's teachings in more books of the Bible. Now here's Pastor Michael with a final word. Well, we are wrapping up the book of Isaiah rapidly, and we've been telling you about this new format that we've been using as we wrap up the book, and that is that you can hear the rest of Isaiah chapter 60 as you go to the podcast for Walk in Truth. And we want you to do that for a number of reasons. One, because you can get the full content of the message. Two, because there's a lot of other content available. And you can listen at your own pace and when you're ready. We're going to be airing the book of Philippians in July. We're excited about that. As you think about the book of Isaiah, go to the rest of the teaching in Isaiah 60 as you see the incredible hope of the restoration of Israel, a light to the Gentiles. And I'll tell you, in our culture, we are looking for light There seems to be darkness everywhere, but God is talking about a day of hope, a day that's all about the gospel and the light of Christ. And you can find out more about that as you go to your favorite podcast app and search for Walk in Truth. For all of you who are already subscribers, already follow us, already support us, pray for us, I just want to say thank you from all of the staff. We're so grateful for uh, you coming alongside us, and we pray that we've been a blessing to you. And we're excited about the partnership going forward for Walk in Truth. You know, I just heard about the number of podcast listens just halfway through the month of June, and it is well over 12,000 listens. And that's exciting for us because it tells us that people are listening to the content and we're most excited about the Lord being glorified and the kingdom of God being 
extended. This is Pastor Michael Lance. This is Walk in Truth. So glad you're walking through the book of Isaiah with us. We're excited to be presenting it to you. Remember, you can reach out to us by email at any time when you go to, when you email us at contact at walkintruth.com. That's contact at walkintruth.com. This is Pastor Michael. We will see you right here next time as we look at the incredible prophecy read by the Messiah in Luke chapter 4. That's Isaiah 61 right here tomorrow. Bless you. And remember, Walk in Truth is a listener-supported ministry. Your financial partnership helps us broadcast on this station, provide the podcast for free, and it helps us do our free apologetic events too. Please consider becoming a monthly partner of at least $5 a month. You can donate at walkintruth.com. And join us tomorrow for Pastor Michael's teaching in Isaiah 61 called The Prophesized Ministry of Messiah. I'm Mike Massaro, and thanks for listening to Walk in Truth. Our goal is to equip you to reach out with God's truth to all people. 